Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Doreen, if you don't know my name. Otherwise, the, you call me the wife. Um, and uh, I just want to first of all say um, a thank you to Jason because he cooked a few extra meals this week and did some extra things um, around the house so that I could take time to prepare. Um, and, and so not only is he a great pastor and shepherd to this church, but he's a great pastor and shepherd to me and to my family. So um, I just want to say thank you. Gosh, I better just be crying all Ugh, Okay. I know. He has to cry on stage. I can't be outdone. So I guess start off with some tears. Okay. Um, so I want to start off first just by telling you a little bit about myself. Um, I've got a little a picture of me as a little girl, as a flower girl, my aunt's wedding. Um, my childhood was a little bit unique um, in that I was raised by deaf parents. Um, so from the moment I could talk, I started making phone calls for them. Um, I interpreted for them. I became basically their mode of communication. Um, they took me on errands so that they could communicate with people around them. Um, and uh, so there, as I, especially as I grew older and I became more and more um, independent, able to do things for myself, there kind of was this kind of role reversal effect where they depended on me a lot and I probably became less and less dependent on them. Um, and I feel like that's why even today I'm a pretty independent person. I have a hard time asking for help. Uh, at least that's my excuse. Um, and uh, you can also see when I was in high school, there's a picture of me. I wasn't a track star or anything, but I was involved in extracurricular activities. School came easy for me. Um, I graduated, graduated valedictorian with a 4.0. Um, I was a leader in my youth group. I was president of my campus Bible club. Um, the next picture here was, I mean, like I was literally like the poster child for Christian, like teenage Christianity, okay? This is like a newspaper article of me leading a, a prayer group. So <clears throat> when you would look like from the outside, you would think, well, this person, she's, she's got it all together. She's a good girl. Um, I really did love Jesus, and I followed him to the best of my ability. Um, so outward appearances, beside the fact that I was a huge nerd, um, says that I had it all together. Um, but on the inside, I was so insecure. I struggled with feeling loved um, or worthy of love. Uh, I often felt weak, but I didn't feel permission to show that. Um, I was tired a feeling like I had to be perfect all the time. And it was really hard. It's really hard to try to be perfect all the time. And I was constantly trying to earn people's approval and earn God's approval. And to be honest, I mean, Jason always says we're just bigger versions of our middle school selves. <laughs> like, not much has changed. I still struggle with all of those things. Except now, I've learned that I know a lot less than I think I do. I don't, it's strange how that happens. You get older and you feel like you know less and less. Um, and when I was in high school, I mean, I knew I needed Jesus for the big stuff, you know, like salvation and I don't know, changing the world, those things. But the day-to-day -day things, you know, I was a pretty capable young lady and I didn't really feel like I needed him that much in the day-to-day. -day. Uh, but now, um, I feel like I need him just to get out of bed in the morning. 
I'm so desperately in need of Jesus just for my day to day. And I've, I've just, so I've, I've learned that, you know, I'm a lot less perfect and a lot less together than I thought I was. Um, and uh, the church that we're looking at today in Laodicea, this is the self-sufficient church. Um, the one who thought they were all good. So I don't know about you guys, but I can relate to this church. And maybe you will be able to as well. Um, so we've been focusing on the first few chapters of Revelation. Uh, there were seven, the seven churches that Jesus sends a letter to. And these are actually real churches that existed at the time. If you were to look at a map um, from Patmos where John was and he received this revelation, if that when his letters were sent out to these seven churches, it would actually follow this kind of circuit, uh, kind of passing the letter from church to church. Uh, but the number seven is also uh, symbolic and used to represent wholeness or completion. So as Jason said, it also is for all the church, for all time, which means it's for us. And uh, so now we are, um, our main passage this morning is Revelation 3, 14 through 22. And I'm gonna take it just a few verses at a time. We're gonna break it down um, kind of piece by piece. So starting in Revelation 3, verse 14. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. And one of the things I love, and I don't know if you've noticed it throughout the weeks um, as we've looked at the different churches, is how Jesus, the name that he addresses himself by is different and unique to each church according to their need. And I just love that about God, his intimacy um, towards us, that just as each of us are unique, that he relates to us in unique ways. Um, so, you know, if I were to ask you, you know, what's a specific name of God or characteristic that you love, there probably, you guys would say different things because God is revealing himself to us, maybe according to a wound that needs to be healed in our life or, you know, a sin that we just can't overcome or a broken pathway um, that he wants to make right. And, uh, you know, because of that, because God relates to us in unique ways, we have to be so careful not to compare and to look around at the people around us because I know for me, like, I've struggled for a long time feeling like maybe I don't have the Holy Spirit living in me because my life doesn't look like that person's life. Or I struggled with feeling like I don't know that I really even hear from God because I don't hear his voice like that person hears his voice. And I finally came to a point where I just had to go, you know what, God? I believe what your word says, that what you say is true and your promises are true for me. So if you say everybody who calls upon the name of the Lord is saved and I'm one of those everybody's and I've called upon you, then I'm saved. And if you say that those who are saved have the Holy Spirit living in them, well then I have the Spirit in me. And if you say you'll seek me, if you seek me, you will find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, then so be it, because you've said it, then it's true. Um, so Jesus calls himself the amen, the so be it, the faithful and true witness. And what does that mean exactly? Because we always say the amen at the end of our prayers, but I'm not sure that we really understand what we're saying. 
Um, so amen, when we say that, we are saying, so be it. Or in other words, yes, I agree, I believe it to be true, let it, to be, let it be done. What, when somebody else is praying, we say amen, we're saying whatever he said, do that, God. It's an agreement. Um, and uh, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. Christ is the fulfillment, he is the amen of all of God's promises. And because he's fulfilled all of our promises, or all of God's promises, this shows us that he has the resources to give us everything we need. Maybe not everything we want, but everything we need. He is the beginning of God's new creation. This doesn't mean that Jesus is a created being. Some people might look at this and um, like Jehovah Witness may look at this verse and say, well, this means he's the beginning of creation, he was created. But this doesn't line up with the rest of, of scripture. Colossians 1, 15 through 18 says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created. He's not created, he is the creator. In heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So Christ is the beginning as in the first, the highest, the supreme. It's, it's a title of, of positioning. Um, but he is also the beginning of a new creation. He was the first to die and to rise. And those of us, when we are in union with Christ, we will be a part of his new creation, his new kingdom. He's the originator and the beginner. Um, so this is Jesus that comes to Laodicea, the faithful one who is true, the one who is ruler of a new kingdom. And here's what he's saying to the church. Verses 15 and 16, he says, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So Jesus starts out addressing them like he addresses all the other churches. I know, I know you. I see what, you're, what you do. He's intimate with them. He sees. And then with the other churches, he goes on to say some positive things and some of the good things that they do. Uh, but this is the only church that Jesus doesn't have a single positive thing to say about them, which is interesting. Uh, he says he wishes they were hot or cold, one or the other. And I always heard this to th and thought, you know, it meant I wish you were for me or against me, or I wish you were good or bad, but you're nothing. Um, you're in the middle. Um, but he's not actually saying that. He doesn't say it's better to be against him than to be lukewarm or it's better to be bad. Um, if you look at the context of, of Laodicea, Laodicea actually had a really poor water supply, and um, their water was contaminated, uh, it was bitter, it was, could not be used at all. So they had to pipe in water from nearby towns. And um, they piped in from Colossae, 
and they were known for their cold springs, and then from Hierapolis, who was known for their hot springs. So cold springs, as Sue talked about, is refreshing, it's hydrating, it's beneficial for us to drink. Um, And the hot springs, people would actually go to Hierapolis to the hot springs to bathe there for healing and for medicinal properties. So both the hot and the cold had value and benefit. But Laodicea's water was secondhand. So by the time it got to them, the water was lukewarm. There was nobody going to Laodicea to benefit from their water. And this made me think, what about our source? And where is our source coming from? Is all your water being piped in from somewhere else? Are you, you know, it's, it's a good thing to come and to hear a message or to go to a small group and talk about the Lord, to, to listen to podcasts and read devotionals because we need to hear what God is teaching other people and to learn from each other. But our source, our main source, has to be the fountain of living water. Jeremiah 2.13, God speaking. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. John 7, on that last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And when he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. So how do we drink from the living water? Jesus is the living water. John also says that Jesus is the word. And the word is living and active. It's a double-edged sword that works in partnership with the spirit of God. And I remember the first time that I was challenged to read my Bible at home. I was in fifth grade, and I remember thinking, well, that's kind of a new and strange thing. I mean, I read my Bible at church, and we memorize verses, and I hear people talk to me all the time about the Bible, but at home, by myself. And, um, you know, I was kind of intrigued by it. And to be honest, it took me a while. It took me a few years before I actually did it. But I remember very, very clearly the first week that I decided to read the Bible. And I picked the book of James because it was a short book. And um, at night before I went to bed, I read one chapter and underlined a verse that I liked. And then the next day, I was amazed when I was at school, um, that verse would come to mind like right when I needed it. And then it would encourage me or it would challenge me or it would remind me. And it was, to me, it was the most exciting thing. Because it's, it's one thing to have somebody else tell you about who God is. But it's a whole nother thing for him to tell you himself. You know, um, shoot, I lost my place. Hold on. Is it a supernatural experience every day? No. Do I miss some days? Yes. Sometimes I open up and I read and it's kind of like, well, okay. Not super exciting. But I keep coming and I keep reading. I keep putting myself before his word. B. 
because those ordinary faithful moments lead to extraordinary moments where the veil between heaven and earth gets thin and you hear the voice of God. So don't be satisfied with secondhand lukewarm water when you can have rivers of living water from the source. And you know when, when you come to the living water, then rivers of living water will flow out from you and it will provide refreshment and healing to those around you. <clears throat> so Jesus says that their lukewarm hearts made him want to spit them out. And when you look at the Greek word here, it actually means to vomit. And I have to say this week, Jason mentioned some of our kids are sick. I had to clean up vomit this week out of carpet, not the most fun thing to do in the middle of the night. And when you see throw up, you do not wanna get close to it. I mean, it kinda just makes you want to do this, right? And Jesus is actually saying that this lukewarm thing that they've got going on, that if, if, they, don't, if they don't repent, if they don't come to him, that he's actually going to remove himself from them. And you know, this kind of makes me, when I read this, I kind of go, why? I mean, okay, we shouldn't be lukewarm, but out of all the things, when you look at the other churches, you had churches that were, God, they had bad people, right? They were saying that like sexual immorality and idolatry is okay, it's okay. Or they were welcoming in these false teachings and you would think Jesus would look at that and be like, gross, no, bad, I wanna spit you out. But those weren't the things that Jesus said was gonna make him spit him out. It was the, meh, the indifference, the apathetic heart. It's the complacent, ineffective, self-sufficient, lazy, comfortable heart. So that makes me think, we can't get comfortable. So we're not home yet, and this race isn't finished until we take our last breath here in this world and we take our step into our eternal home. And we have to remember that this world is not our home. Verse 17, Jesus says, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The list goes on and on. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me so that you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. So the alarming thing is that the Laodiceans, they thought they were good. They thought they were okay that they didn't need anything and they were deceived. But Jesus, who is the amen and the faithful witness, he knows what is true and he will help us see the truth. Laodicea, the city, was actually a wealthy and prosperous city. There was actually an earthquake that destroyed the town in 60 AD 
And when that happened, they refused help from the emperor and they rebuilt the city themselves. So they were independent, they were strong, and the church really was just kind of acting in accordance to the culture they grew up in. And I feel like as Americans, we can so identify with this. We pride ourselves in our independence, our strength as a nation. And I think in our Christianity, we do the same thing. You know, we're comfy and cushy and you know, we're saturated in this message from when we're young. So a good example of this is uh, last Saturday, I was sitting with my daughter and we were watching a cartoon show. And children's um, programming, like the commercials, make me so mad because it's all geared towards those kids. Like, I feel like it should be banned, but it's smart marketing because if you, it's easy to convince a kid to want something and then they'll nag and nag and nag their tired and weary parents, right, to buy it for them. So it's a smart investment, but we're watching this show and, you know, in these commercials of every single toy that any kid could possibly want. And my daughter, as she's watching, she just, her little heart just becomes filled with joy She's just overwhelmed to the point that she must worship. And a song begins to burst forth from her. I just want it all. I just want it all. I just want it all. And she sings these words. I just want it all over and over and over. I don't know how. At least five minutes, maybe longer. I don't know. I tuned it out. So I'm looking at this and I go, it's our heart's cry, right? Like kids are, they're the same as adults, they're just more honest, right? I mean, we actually believe, we believe that if we have all these things, then we'll be okay, we'll be happy, we'll be secure, we'll have peace. And it's fine to have stuff, it's okay. You know, we can use these resources, I'm thankful for how blessed we are. And we, we should be using these things for God's kingdom and for his glory. But the problem is we don't just use these resources, we depend on them. We depend on the technology, our health system, uh, mass communication, our education, um, a good job, good family, our government, religion, rules, uh, our, you know, having perfect children, we depend on these things rather than a radical dependence on the Holy Spirit. And um, Luke, I want to look at a story in Luke, chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. I'm going to read to you the story. So one of these Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, 
he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told them, him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. From, but, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So in my teens, back to poster child, Christian teenager, I remember hearing this story and thinking, what? That does not make sense. I have to go out and sin and do a lot of bad things if I wanna love Jesus? Like if I wanna, I wanna love him a lot, like why can't I not sin and still love Jesus? I don't understand this. But the problem is, I thought that I hadn't sinned much and I didn't need to be forgiven much, which is what I think Simon was thinking. But the reality is that there's not one of us that's good. That our righteousness before Christ is like filthy rags. So the truth is, we've all been forgiven of so much. I didn't have to go out and sin more to love God more. I just had to wake up and see myself for who I really am. Wretched sinner. Helpless and hopeless without Jesus. I can't save myself, I can't forgive myself, I can't do anything for myself apart from him. I am nothing. I am completely, 100% dependent on him. It wasn't a problem of not sinning enough. It was my own self-deception, my blindness. But the good news is that Jesus invites the church to come to him. He says, come to me. Buy gold from me. We need, we need Christ's riches, not the world's. Laodicea was a wealthy banking center. They had put their hope in the wealth that they had. But the wealth of this world will not last. It will be gone tomorrow. Luke 12, 21, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth and not 
but not have a rich relationship with God. So how do we buy gold? With what currency? Well, our currency is faith, which means trusting in him and having a radical dependence on him and only him. So the same thing that brings us salvation, our faith, is the same thing that is a cure for our spiritual apathy, daily dependence on him. He says to buy garments from him so that we will not be ashamed. And they were known in that town for their textiles. And they had this rich, glossy black wool that was beautiful. And Jesus says, that's, that's beautiful and that's wonderful. But in contact, contrast to that, I have something better. And we need Christ's righteousness. Those robes, those white robes were a symbol, were symbolic of his righteousness that covers us. Um, Revelation 7.14 it says that they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Isaiah 1:18, the Lord is speaking. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. So we see in the scriptures that this white garment symbolizes the perfect righteousness of the Savior that's then placed upon us and covers us. In the ancient world, the nakedness is a sign of judgment and humiliation, and we stand before God naked. We can't cover, we can't hide. He sees us for who we really are. But to receive fine clothing that Jesus wants to give us is a symbol of honor and acceptance. There is no hiding or covering up with God except in the blood of Christ. So faith, trusting that what Christ did on the cross was enough to save us, that buys us the garments we need. Jesus said that they were blind and they needed to come to him for healing. And again, Laodicea, they were actually, they were also famous for their medical facilities and they had an ophthalmology school which is a study of eye diseases and lovely things like that. And um, they were famous for their eye salve. And the irony is that the church, they were blind. So in our blindness, we need Christ's remedy. Jesus is the great physician. He is the one who heals us and who helps us see. He is our cure. And that's why we need to Come to God and we need to pray what the psalmist prayed. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. We need to come to him daily and ask God to show us where are our blind spots? Where are the things that we're not seeing that you see? We need his remedy. We need Christ's rebuke. Verse 19, Jesus says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So here's the good news, and here's the thing that amazes me, is that Jesus is saying, I love you. Right in the middle of their apathy, their wretched, pit pitiful, arrogant state, he loves them. Their sin doesn't make him stop loving them. 
The fact that he wanted to vomit them out didn't make him stop loving them. He loved them dearly. And because he loved them, he didn't wanna leave them in a self-destructive state. Love doesn't leave somebody where they are. And we are in desperate need of Christ's rebuke, just as they were. Hebrews 12, 10 through 11 says, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. So Jesus says, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. And when he's saying be diligent, he's not saying, so work harder. Earn it. He's not trying to put heavy burdens on them. He's actually trying to remove the heavy burdens that they didn't know they were carrying. He's trying to give us himself by calling us to just humble ourselves before him and acknowledge our need for him. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. I love that promise. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. We see that when we come to him broken and acknowledging our broken state before him, that he's, he's close. Psalm 138.6, though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. So do you see maybe the why? Why the apathy, why the self-sufficiency? Why maybe this was the church that faced extinction? Because it's not about being good or bad. It's about pride versus humility. It's about either we need him and we come to him and we stay plugged into the source and we receive from him or we don't. And when we're proud and we're self-sufficient, we actually oppose ourselves to him. We're no longer connected to the source we actually disconnect ourselves from him. But when we come to him in honest humility and we realize our need for him, his word says he's close, he cares for us, and he will give us the grace that we desperately need. And the band can come up these last few moments. Verse 20, Jesus says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. You know, there, um, I mentioned that my parents are deaf and there are you know, a few different techniques that you have to use to get the attention of a deaf person. You can't just say, excuse me, or hey, look over here. Um, you actually, you know, they can't hear you. So uh, some things that you might need to do is you know, tap them on the shoulder. Or if you're not close enough to touch them, 
wave your hands at them or maybe stomp your feet so they feel the vibration or pound on the table, um, maybe even flick a light switch. Um, there could be a lot of humorous, it might kind of look humorous if you're not used to it, or be annoying, as my fourth grade teacher was annoyed because I always tapped her on the shoulder every time I needed her attention. And she was like, I'm not deaf. Anyways, I digress. So um, it can be even more difficult trying to get, capture the attention of a deaf person if they are, say, locked behind a closed door. And um, I have memory of myself as a kid sometimes trying to get the attention of my dad um, when he was in his bedroom with the door locked, you know, for privacy, people like privacy, but it could be really hard uh, to get his attention when I, when I needed it. And so I remember as a kid, I mean, hollering, even though he couldn't hear me, pounding on the door, trying to get his attention, stomping on the floor, jumping, stomping as hard as I could, trying to get his attention. I even went outside and I, with a flashlight and I'm flashing it in the window like, Dad, please, I'm trying to get your attention. And it would just drive me crazy. Um, and you know, for so long, I feel like I approached God the same way. And it's so funny how things in our life, especially with our dads, like we get these pictures or these images from our earthly father and we project that onto our heavenly father. And, um, and I just, I would struggle. Like, I feel like, God, I'm just trying so hard to hear your voice and, and I'm coming to you and I'm begging and I'm pleading and, it, and it's like I'm knocking and I'm trying to get your attention and please speak to me. Please come clear, come, come close to me, come near to me, God. I long for your presence, I long to be with you. And, um, I don't know, several years ago, I was in my room and I was on my knees and I was just praying and I was begging and I was pleading and I feel like God had just, just this moment where he just corrected my thoughts and he said, Doreen, you are not the one who stands at the door and knocks. I stand at the door and I'm the one knocking. I'm not standing behind some door with deaf ears to you, but I'm knocking and I want to come in. You just have to open the door and let me in. I'm here. I wanna share a meal with you and I wanna be with you. And it was really just a matter of me trusting in the amen of his promise instead of what I thought or felt was true, to trust in what his word said was true. And most of the time, we do get it backwards. And we feel like we have to work ourselves into a frizzy, frenzy just to get his attention. But it's not true. He's pursuing you. He's the one that came down to us. He's the one that strained as he was beaten and strived as he carried that cross. He's the one that bled and shed sweat and tears to be with you. And all you have to do is just open the door and he'll share a meal with you. He'll show his hospitality. 
and his intimate fellowship. He wants to come and he wants to serve you a meal. It's the longing of his heart. Verse 21, those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. If we trust him, we will be heirs of his kingdom. Everything that he has is ours because of our union with him. Every promise fulfilled because Christ is the amen. We are a part of the new creation that he has begun. He is the originator and he is the ruler of it all. We will rule with him and we will lack nothing. We have everything we need in him. Anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. So do you hear what the Spirit is saying today? Is he speaking to you? Are we listening? In these next moments, we're gonna give you some time to listen and to respond to whatever Jesus is saying to you this morning. Um, Jason and I will be up here available to pray with you, to talk to you. Um, There's space up in the front or on the sides here. If you just need to sit still and listen and pray, talk to the Lord. I am a firm believer. If you feel God stirring your heart of like actually moving your physical position in response, there is something about not just sitting in your chair. I mean, especially this morning when we're talking about don't be lukewarm, don't be apathetic, do something. If you feel God stirring in your heart, move and respond. And after you've taken time to examine your heart, we invite you to participate in communion. There will be people um, standing at the corners with juice and cracker. And this is, this is a symbolism and a remembrance of the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples when he said that the wine was his blood shed and the bread was his body broken for us. He said, do this in remembrance of me. But we also remember that there is going to be a feast to come where now he communes with us, but there will be a day where we will see him face to face and we will commune together. So um, as you have, if you have faith in Jesus, maybe for the first time even today, we invite you to join us in communion. And people, when you come, you will take the cracker and dip it in the juice. And then after you receive the communion, then you will turn and you will take the plate and cup and serve it to the person behind you. And this is just reminding us that not only do we receive Christ's fellowship and his forgiveness, but we also extend it to others. So let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for your words. I thank you that you are the amen, the true and faithful witness, the beginning of a new creation and a new kingdom, that your reign is complete and total. God, I pray that this morning you help us, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Jesus. Praise things in Jesus' name, amen.